0: This show is about your mental health. While it's supported by the pillars of positivity and hope, if you find yourself in crisis, please reach out for help. In many communities in both the United States and Canada, you can dial 211 to be connected to mental health and crisis services in your region. While it may seem like it at times, you are not alone. I'm Kevin Frankish. Welcome to this episode of The Happy Molecule. In past episodes, we have talked about how the vast majority of triggers of anxiety and depression when we're adults actually happen in our youth. And having said that, we've also talked about how resources, mental health resources for our youth are sadly lacking. Now, Let's take BIPOC youth, black, indigenous, and people of color. These kids not only face this epidemic of unprecedented anxiety, depression, and suicide ideations. Their mental health is further challenged by racism and ignorance. A new program called Youth Thrive has been created at St. Joseph's Healthcare in Hamilton. The idea is to have clinicians and therapists visit schools, mosques, and cultural centers, providing mental health care tailored for youth who are BIPOC. I'm joined by Lisa Jeffs, manager of the Youth Wellness Center, and Jalisa Bygrave, a clinician. BIPOC Mental Health, right now on The Happy Molecule. Well, hello, Lisa. Hello, Jaleesa. Welcome to this episode.
1: Thank you. Thank you Kevin.
0: It, it let's let's get right to terminology to begin with. People are so uncomfortable. And, and and I don't think it's anything they're afraid of offending. So let's start, let's talk about what bipoc means. What does what does racialized youth mean? All
2: right. So bipoc refers to black indigenous and persons of of color. Um racialized uh, we, we use that to refer to Black Indigenous persons of colour too, as well. So it's just, it's just another term that one could use. Um, it, like, in, in terms of talking about the program, for example, you would use the phrasing BIPOC, but if you're talking about particular experiences that are experienced by specific communities, racialized communities, instead um, of using the word BIPOC, you might want to use like a specific racial group. So for example, if you're talking about the Black community, you want to say that black folks are um, at greater risk of being targeted by the police instead of saying white BIPOC, because then you're generalizing the experience as opposed to focusing the experience on a particular um, racial
0: group. And, and Lisa, we know that sadly we still have not supplied the proper mental health care to youth. And we know that that 80, 85 percent of of depression and anxiety in adults gets its start in youth. So you help run the, the you manage the Youth Wellness Center at St. Joe's in Hamilton. That's an important demographic you are taking care of.
1: Thanks. Yeah, it it really is, because being a youth is difficult enough on its own. There's so many transitions that you're going through. You know thinking about school or um, where you're going to live um, are you going to go on to post-secondary there's all kinds of struggles and when you add difficulties with mental health and addiction on top of that it can be really hard for youth
0: so then we add on top of that uh, uh, black youth indigenous youth uh, uh, youth of color so not only are youth under exponentially this portion of the population is is really underserviced?
1: Yeah, well, youth as a whole tend not to reach out for services when they need it. Um, and I think that's partly because they're concerned about the experience they might have when they're reaching out. So is the service going to uh, understand what I'm saying about my struggles with mental health? Um, I, am I gonna be stigmatized? What if someone I know is there as well? So there's a lot of fear around stigma and when you add to that, what if the person I speak to is, um, says something racist or discriminates against me in another way because of my racial background or because I'm Indigenous? Uh, so there's all kinds of reasons where racialized youth and Indigenous and Black youth have, um, you know, they're in some ways having um, to deal with an additional barrier of worrying about discrimination.
0: Yeah, and you know what? I'm not even going to get into any any sort of debate or discussion about systemic racism. My friends, it exists. Okay, it is there, um, and so whether or not you have a young person of color who is sitting there, and and you can have the kindest, most gentle person in front of them, it's still that that impression they have already had their their their, their short lifetime being subjected to racism, they, they they just need that assurance. So Jalisa, what is it like now? And I know the program is still very young. What is it like when they sit down with you now as opposed to just sitting in in a clinic?
2: Yeah, so um our program you Drive aims to address um race-based um mental health concerns by providing culturally adapted mental health services to like racialized children, youth, and families that take into consideration the various effects that racism has had on one's mental wellness. Um, so when I'm sitting down with a young person, for example, um, it's a space for them to talk very openly and transparently about their experiences of racial trauma and how it's affects them in different facets of life, like school or, or work. Or, or in their social settings, for instance, and helping them process those events and helping them understand that those events that that have happened, that have transpired, is not their their fault, but is more indicative of systemic racism and how effective it is in terms of um, influencing and shaping their mental wellness and their perception of self as a whole. So that's the um, focus of my work is to the helping them make that connection so then they can get to a space where they see themselves differently than, than when they did when they first sat down with me for our initial session.
0: And talk about just in time for our Indigenous youth. Um, you know, with the residential school uh, story blowing up and in fact worsening even as we speak, there there has to be a need for this for indigenous youth.
1: Yeah, there completely is. Um, we have an indigenous youth wellness worker on the team. Her name's Adrian. She's fabulous.
0: Um, and we also
1: have a partnership through her employer, the Hamilton Regional Indian Center, as well as the de Desne, which is the Aboriginal Health Center in Hamilton. And they've been um, guiding us from the beginning about what we need to do to better support indigenous youth and a lot of that has to do with reclaiming culture and heritage and traditional practices around mental health and addictions. So focuses that are less about Western approaches and more about Indigenous approaches that perhaps uh, people don't know about and certainly aren't always embraced by a more medical or Western approach.
0: This must be something that's very difficult for you, and, and that is these approaches. Because you're not just having a, you know, a CBT approach or or something like that You have to consider the culture and it's not just one culture You could be dealing with the culture of, of uh, an indigenous group But then within the indigenous group there are there are different cultures there as well When we talk about black youth there are different cultures within that demographic as well How difficult is it? to make sure that, that you are tailoring that session to that particular youth?
2: So when I'm working, because a lot of the youth that I'm working with right now are from different backgrounds and, and, and um, identities. And in my work, I feel that what has been helpful for me was taking a step back and listening to their experiencing experiences and um, taking the time to fully understand their story, their narrative and not making assumptions or or jumping in and trying to provide advice from the onset. Because um, even though we both have experienced um, racism by extension of being racialized bodies, it doesn't mean that I fully know or understand your context because it's different from my own context. So in those instances, it's important for me to just um, take an active listening approach and then validate their experiences, their sentiments, and um, from, from there um, provide support. And, and, and the feedback that I've been getting from um, young persons, they, they've been saying that it's just been refreshing. It's just been great for them to even talk about race in general because they don't get to really do that in other spaces where they've accessed mental health services in the past. So for them, this is a drastic dramatic change in, in service delivery in general. So so there's definitely an appetite and an interest for this. And and I think just the approach of this, just listening and in being present for them, I think has made a role of a difference in my interventions with young persons that are racialized to date.
0: What else are you hearing? What, what are you hearing from the, the different groups of youth? Uh, are you hearing a lot of anger? Are you hearing a lot of fright, uh, confusion? Uh, what, what are you hearing?
2: I think it's a multitude of different emotions. Um, just anger that racism continues to be pervasive, and and, and it's hard for them to hear um, the experiences that they see in the news around, like the unmarked graves or the, the family um, that was a target mm. of Islamophobia, for example. Also, just still processing George Floyd that happened last year, but still very prominent. Um, so some anger and frustration around why it still exists, like why is racism still a, f- a factor? And then also the anger turns into fear because they're fearful because that, hey, this could be me. I, c- I could be in the news um, next week being a target of a different form of racism. And and then also to just sadness and despair that um, people in, in their own communities are being hurt, are being impacted, are being, targeted um, all in the, in the name of racism, it's, it's, it's something that makes them feel, feel sad because, because they, feel, they might feel hopeless. They might feel like, okay, like when will this end? When will it get better? So I'm, I'm experiencing a multitude of different emotions, but also I'm also seeing that there are young persons that are resilient and wanting to make, make change and wanting to figure out, like, what can I do how can I contribute to society in a way that eradicates these experiences that are happening that, that I'm that I'm seeing and experiencing firsthand? Like, what what can I do? Can I go out there and protest? Can I write a letter to my MP? Can I start a, a, a group of my own that addresses these things? So you're seeing a lot of different things happen in the context of these conversations that I'm having with you,
0: Lisa. How do you? I don't want to say separate. Um, how do you deal with uh, the the concerns of a youth who feels, you know, they have they have been the target of racism, but at the same time, they're dealing with the same troubles as as youth around the world: school, friends, social media, uh, you know, depression, anxiety, uh, suicide ideations. How how do you deal with all of this together with being you know a target of racism?
1: Yeah, it's really complex. I think has done a really good job at sort of explaining how important it is to listen to people's stories and their understanding of what's going on for them. Um, but one for me, one critical sort of rethinking that's helped me as well in my own anti-racist work is, it's a concept called minority stress. And it really helps people, I think, to know a little bit about this. So what it does is teases out your identity from your experience of racism. So, and connects it to mental health through stress. So you're not experiencing depression or anxiety because you're black or because you're indigenous it's because you've experienced racism, right? It's because of the trauma that that can bring and because of the increased stress. We know that when people are living under increased stress, it leads to a higher chance of mental health addiction struggles. So to me, that's a really important reframing of the issue. And I think it really helps people sort of understand, you know, this isn't about me. This is about you know, the discrimination that goes on in the world. This is about how it feels for me walking down the street, thinking any minute someone could treat me differently or poorly, because of my skin color. And so that's an important concept that I think helps helps people think it through.
0: What um, What can you say to schools, um, youth groups, uh, and anyone who deals with youth in general uh, about dealing with BIPOC and uh, with within their groups, what advice can you send to them? Hey, what advice can you send to parents as well?
2: Well, I think it's um, important to recognize that the experiences that they have are very unique and very multifaceted in, in nature. Um, and 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 as I said before, like um, taking the time to really listen to what they have to say, like what they have to, to share and um, not invalidating their experiences, because just because we haven't experienced it them, like ourselves doesn't mean that it's it's less real for, for them in, in particular. Right. So when you're when you're when you're listening to what they have to say, just validating it in a way that they feel like what they have to express matters and that it's important, it's not and, and that it's relevant. And that they're not—they're not just making it up in their own heads, because there's this um, perception that um, sometimes as racialized bodies, that we exaggerate um, things that may have happened to us when they actually are not exagger- exaggeration. They're a, a real portrayal of what we experienced, um, but because maybe we haven't walked into like the person's shoes, that it's—it's it's not real. So being mindful of of that, um, and also too the importance of. Communication and, and I guess I'll say this more around for for parents because um, sometimes and, and I'm speaking from my own experiences that as a racialized person, um, sometimes our parents grew in a different direction than than ourselves and, and 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 how they dealt with race racism might be different than how we are dealing with racism today because racism has taken a different form. It's, it's evolved from when our parents have experienced it to. When, I, when I'm experiencing it right now. So communicating the, those differences that might have been and recognizing that even though they're different experiences, they've had the same impact on our feelings and, and emotions and our behaviors. So using this opportunity to um, facilitate dialogue as opposed to invalidate the young person's experiences of racism as, as different and not as valid as the, maybe the parents' experiences of racism um, a generation ago so those are some advice that i would like to impart
0: yeah so and, and you know what 90 percent of mental health is listening like like uh, yeah, I, I always i always tease therapists say you really don't do that much do you you just listen but it, it's so true you know a therapist is there to guide you to get you to talk and discover those feelings once you get a kid talking does it all come out, or does is it is it is it a lot of work just to get them talking? Uh, I don't know if that makes any sense.
2: Oh, it, it does definitely make sense. Um, from my experience so far, um, they're willing and and open in terms of their um, discussions and their stories and, and narratives with me. And and I think it goes back to what I was mentioning, where they may, may have access services in the past, but perhaps they maybe met, met with like a white practitioner that maybe did not understand their experiences and the nuances around race and how it impacts their mental health. So the minute they see a racialized mm-hmm. worker, it makes a world of a difference for them. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, you actually get where I'm coming from. You actually experience racism yourself and you know what it feels. And, and because I've lived through it and i've done my own processing of racism in in my own personal life in the past i can use that as a way to support the young persons i'm with right now and when they hear what i have to share about my like um my experiences it's it's like they're like wow you 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 get it you 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 know what it's like and it, it makes them feel like their experiences is not something that they experience in isolation, but other people do all, all the time, and and it impacts um, their engagement with our services in the process.
0: And Lisa, so we do want to point out that this is not to say that that a a, a a white therapist is in any way racist, but it's it, it's an impression that a client a patient gets when they see someone. I mean, there are people who don't want to talk to a woman, rather talk to a man or, or, or vice versa. There are people who I don't know, don't want to talk to someone with, with, with blonde hair. I, I I you know so impression is everything and that is is to make your client, your patient, feel comfortable right from the word go. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think in response to that I I say two things. Thing one is systemic racism is a thing right so it's not just about individual practitioners it's about systems of health care that were set up for predominantly white straight men um, and we need to do a better job dismantling those systems and putting them back together with indigenous black and racialized people involved in that
0: can, can i get you to explain that a bit to me for, for those who may not Believe that there is systemic racism. I mean, come on! How can you tell me the healthcare system is is it, you know has systemic racism with it? Anybody can walk into a hospital or to a doctor. Can you help explain, just very simply, how that exists within the system?
1: Sure. Um, I mean, there are so many tragic examples I can think of, like the indigenous person who died in a Quebec hospital because she wasn't believed. Um, because of the racism in the system in healthcare, there several staff didn't believe how badly she was feeling. They didn't. Um, they thought that the pain that she was experiencing wasn't real. Um, so those staff members aren't taught about racism and about the experience of colonization when they're in nursing school or medical school. We need to do a better job of training people because it's not. It's not a part of our learning. So that's one piece. The other piece is though that the system is not set up to think about the effects of racism or homophobia or transphobia or sexism um, on health and on mental health care. So we don't ask those questions. Uh, we don't, we're not I- expecting people to come with stories of the stress that living in a racist world has put on them. Um, so we just don't have those conversations. Um, and You know, I could be here for days talking about policies that aren't inclusive, um, hiring that's not, looking for an equitable approach to um, the workforce. We need to hire more people who are Black, racialized, and Indigenous. Um, So there's all kinds of evidence out there. And also Black, Indigenous, and racialized folks have been telling us for ages. uh, And we're not, we're just not listening uh, in the way that I think we should
0: you bring up that L word again? Listening,
1: imagine that Uh, it's also asking questions, right? And to me, that's kind of the second part um, that we as individual clinicians and practitioners need to do a better job ourselves. We need to do learning. um, We need to understand some of the issues um, better than we do. Um, How many of us knew that um, indigenous people have been telling us for years that there were lost and missing, probably dead, and in some cases murdered, Indigenous children who didn't come back from residential schools. Um, You know, it's been known if you're listening for a while, but most of us haven't been listening. So it's really important to do the work on our own um, and to make steps towards being better and having more of an anti-racist approach to the work do.
0: I'd like to bring up um uh white youth because there is a definitely an anxiety that is really building with those who who know this exists who feel bad who who want to actually help affect change and make things better for their peers I I don't know. Is is there anything we can do, perhaps as a bridge between cultures, um, to, to deal with that kind of anxiety? And I I don't want to get into to white guilt or anything like that, but there is definitely an anxiety that does build because, you know, we realize we're all human beings. We're all the same species. So when... Some of our brothers and sisters are hurting; it hurts us and makes us feel bad. So, is there any thought given to that? Do you want
1: to go, Jalisa?
0: Um, that's a loaded question, Jalisa. <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, so I, I guess in, in in those circumstances, um, so for white youth that are maybe being exposed to these situations that they're seeing in, in media, different forms of media, how they can um, do their part, how they can help support um, Black, Indigenous, and, and racialized youth. I I, I know I'm going to bring up the L word again, but, <laughs> but, but, no, but, but honestly, I, I think it's important to, to listen and take the lead of Black, Indigenous, and racialized youth in, in those situations because they know what they need best in order to feel safe and comfortable in society. So I think it's important for White persons to um, hear what they have to say, and 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 get their get the Black, Indigenous, and racialized youth take on these situations, and proceed from there. Take their lead in in that context. Because if they're trying to um, take their own steps without consulting these communities, then what happens is mm-hmm. that you're not really respecting those communities and what their needs are. And in fact, you're perpetuating harm, you're perpetuating systemic racism by doing what you think is right without consulting with the communities mm. that are directly impacted first.
0: In fact, some of the systemic racism that exists today was good intentions. You know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So that L word, that listening, uh, is is again so important. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: I would add, oh. too, that it, sorry
0: go ahead Lisa go ahead
1: um, just that it's important to find groups that are already doing the advocacy work in your community so it doesn't mean just go up to any black racialized and indigenous person you know and say what can I do right because that's also burdening them and this kind of work takes a lot of energy not everyone is in the headspace for it or perhaps take needs a break from it right now um, so just make sure that when you're looking for what to do, that you're going to find advocacy groups that already exist in your community that are, that you can support and that you can actually do something that will help make you feel better, right? Because once you do something, once you're actioning that sense of grief or guilt that you have, um, it actually does help you feel better.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so Lisa, there are politicians listening, there are, there are people who control uh, the money. So we have um, the fabulous people at St. Joe's in Hamilton who have not only helped with this program but have actually, have actually facilitated the Youth Wellness Center. But okay, let's talk to those who hold the purse strings across the country. What is your wish list? And and Angelisa, I'm going to get you to to sort of pipe in as well if you could. But let's let's go with the manager here. What's what is your wish list for other communities?
1: Well, are we are we dreaming in Technicolor, Kevin? Yes, we
0: are. I want you to (laughs) full Technicolor.
1: Um, I would love to see every community have options for people who are looking for mental health and addiction support. So if you want, you can choose to go to the program that's specifically geared to black racialized and indigenous youth and or queer trans youth. Um, And you're also guaranteed that if you choose to access the mainstream service that's meant for everybody, that you won't have any experiences of discrimination, that you'll feel included, that you know that that service is also a good fit for you. So there you go, that's the big dream.
0: Okay, so uh, Jalisa, your wish list.
2: Well, I'm hoping that over time um, that this program can grow and expand um, because right now we're a mighty small team of of four practitioners, um, two mental health workers, including myself included, and then we also have a peer support worker and an Indigenous wellness worker. But hope I'm hoping that over time we get more funding and resources to expand our team because I think that as the program grows, there's gonna be a lot more clients that access our programs through individual group and workshop context. And I see so much potential for what this program can do for black indigenous and racialized youth. So being able to get the resources to grow the program and have more have more workers on the team, I think it would be great. And it would definitely um, expand our, our reach and impact. So that's my hope.
0: I hope I'm not overstepping here, but I would encourage anybody who really wants to see this in their community, get it. it, it was I got in touch with St. Joe's. There's there's a media contact person. There's there's a communications people. They will put you in touch with Lisa and Jaleesa and all the workers there. I hope that's okay. Wait. wait. Uh, and, and and let's have a discussion, but let's do it right. Let's not just go in a direction we think is right. I think right now the youth wellness center at St. Joe's. Um, you've had your rights and your wrongs and you've experimented and, and 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 some things work, some things don't work. So you've had a chance to hone this down. So I think it's best to, to maybe start with talking with the professionals. What should you do? What shouldn't you do?
1: For sure. Um, to me, the most important piece is to involve the population that you want to serve from the beginning. So we spoke to um, the black student council at a local high school. We spoke to a youth center here in Hamilton called the space. That's a brilliant leader in youth led services um, and lots of other people about what was missing, what the needs were. And we have continued to have black indigenous and racialized youth as part of our planning, equal partners in planning the services. So that to me is critical have to include people. There's a a saying you might have heard of, uh, nothing about us without us. It's critically important.
0: It's important. And that L word, the L word, my friends, listening. Uh, I wanna wish you all the luck. I think what you're doing is such an incredibly right step in the right direction. Uh, I, I would love to see the program expand and grow Uh, I would like to see the federal health ministry uh, get on board with this as well uh, because the solutions are going to come, as you say, from the community. They're going to come from from the individual racialized communities, but they're also going to come from the community at large because, you know, united we stand. So thank you both for what you're doing and for the other practitioners there that that work with you. And and thank you very much for spending this time with me. Thanks,
2: Kevin. Thank you for having us.
0: I am going to be very honest with you. This was a, a really difficult conversation to facilitate. I may try to understand, but... I really have no idea what it is like to be subjected to racism. And there are terms like white guilt that can be a divisive subject to bring up. I have to say, Lisa and Jalisa were so gracious in their conversation with me, and I thank them for that. I'm sure even some of you may have taken some offense or questioned some of the things I said, perhaps even the argument that there is indeed systemic racism. Okay. Well, that's why the L word. Listening is the very first thing every single one of us need to do. The very lives of our kids depend on this. Next episode, couples and the lockdown. Boy, did we spend a lot of time together this past year. And one of the sad outcomes has been a significant increase in couples inquiring about separation. Couples counseling, next time on The Happy Molecule. Until then, take care of yourself and take care of each other.
1: Please consider subscribing to this podcast and also check out the Happy Molecule Extra at thehappymolecule.com. There you'll find a link to a video version of this episode, be able to join the conversation about mental health, learn about our Facebook live show and get a preview of upcoming episodes. You can email us at thehappymolecule at gmail.com. I'm Erin Davis, wishing you good mental health.